Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinburn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Welcome to Coast Talk Talk. Today, we're joined by Bob Cook, otherwise known as Crazy Bob Cook. That's what his email says. Former fighter, very successful MMA coach and manager, American Kickboxing Academy, and also entrepreneur out there starting things left and right. All sorts of industries, all sorts of projects. We're always brainstorming. So I think this will be a really interesting episode. Um, Bob was there in the early days of MMA all the way through to the present day. And so it should be some, lots of good stories. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, let's uh, let's go um, wherever you want to go with this. Nice. Yeah, we could, I think I want to start. I want to focus on you. You know, yeah. I think you've had a, a really interesting life so far and a lot of great experiences. So I think it'd be really, you know, people see, they see in your face, they hear your voice at events and, and, you know, cornering guys and that kind of stuff. And so I think, um, really just love to love to start with like you growing up. I think you've told me there was, um, you know, interesting, there are boats and different things involved. I'd love to hear, love to start with yeah. that story. So basically, um, most of my childhood, I grew up on a boat. So for basically till 14 years old. And then I was still, uh, the summers from 14 to 18, uh, I was still on a boat down in the Caribbean. So being on a boat, a lot of times you're traveling. So when uh, early, I was growing up in the Bay Area, actually prior to that, my dad sailed over to Hawaii when I was real little, but I don't really remember that. And then uh, I guess we were in Hawaii for a year or so back then, but I was a pipsqueak. And then uh, later on, when I do remember, we were in the San Francisco Bay Area. We sailed from San Francisco all down through the coast of Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, and then um, Colombia and Honduras and up the, up, up the backside to... Mexico again, then to Florida, and then through the Bahamas, and then down through the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, and and along down through the Caribbean chain to I want to say Saint Lucia, and yeah. then back. And so, anyways, um, what period of time was, was that over? Like, how long did that take? That was we were traveling from kind of on and off from probably when I was about nine to 14 15 well, um, so, so what was give us a, let's, let's give us a like some imagery what was uh what was this boat like are you on you know you're on like a you know a thousand foot giant luxury yacht you're what, what are you on <laughs> no this was uh you know a 32 foot sailboat um so you know not very big um you know, my space, my little cubicle of my stuff was, uh, you know, just a bunk, which was, you know, six foot by, 
you know, three foot wide by two and a half feet tall. And, you know, most <laughs> all my stuff <laughs> was there, you know, I'm going to say no running hot water. <laughs> uh, you know, showering was, uh, you know, sudsing up, jumping overboard and rinsing off with some fresh water. <laughs> My dad was very stingy about the, the fresh water. So. And who was on the boat? Was it just you and your dad? Was it mostly my dad and I? And then we'd have various passengers that uh, would come along for a portion of it, the ride or whatever. So what was nine-year-old Bob thinking? I assume you're in school. You're, you're, you're living somewhere and it's like, hey, we're going on a boat for a few years. The school was kind of hit and miss. Like if we were in an area for a while, then I would go to school. And if we weren't or whatever, I just didn't go to school. Yeah. How were you learning? Were you, were you, would you say, were you like, you know, doing homeschool or you just like just living and learning that way? Uh, not really homeschool. It was more of just along the lines of living and learning. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't really take to school all that well. It, it didn't keep my interest. And some of the schools I, I went to weren't the greatest uh, anyway. So my, my dad was, uh, if school was bad and I didn't want to go to school, he, I just basically told him and I didn't have to go. So, yeah. so obviously it's a lot of like you're, you've become independent at a young age and obviously you're exposed to this idea of independence. Like, did you, did you think it was different than anyone else? Or did you just think like, this is just kind of, Go with the flow. Well, when you're a kid, you're just living your life. But I, I think, you know, when I look back and the things that I, I think really kind of left lasting impressions, I, I think being in third world countries and seeing that kind of poverty as a kid definitely left lasting impressions. Yeah. What, um, okay. So you're, you're, why did, why did this boat trip end? Like what, or and what happened next? Well, uh, when I was, um, uh, 14, my, um, my mom then came to visit and, and I went and looked at a, a school where, where she was living. And I was like, ah, you know, that, that looks pretty nice there. So I'll go to school there. So that was when I started, I started living with my mom from 14 during the, the winter. And then I would stay with my dad in the summer. Was that a tough transition? Like going from no school to being in school? Mm, not that bad. Like academically, you were, how did you handle that? Like academically? Well, you know, academically, I didn't really learn to read till I was 14. Um, and that was basically when I visited my mom and my stepdad had a giant stack of comic books. And I just started reading through all the comic books. Hmm. And then I think I went from the comic books, to the Dune collection. And then from then it was just, you know, never stopped. Yeah. And what, what did you, uh, having, having experienced both, did you, was there one you preferred? Like when you were, when you were in school, did you say, oh, man, I wish I could go back and just kind of travel and explore more or, or were you, I've done that. I see both. For the most kind part, of, I hated school and I thought it was a waste of my time. Yeah. Um, you know, chasing girls and the social life part was fun. But other than that, like for me, like I didn't really identify that much with the academic portion of it. I, you know, I enjoyed PE, of course. I enjoyed the the shop, the welding, the mechanic class, all, all those kind of things, or the ag classes. But the, you know, I, I like history, but in in terms of like English and memorizing spelling and 
grammar and all that. I, I wasn't interested at all. It was just, I, I just wanted to make sure that I maintained my grades high enough to be eligible to do sports and that kind of stuff. And other than that, I really didn't care. Yeah. What sports were you, what sports were you into? Um, at that time, I think, uh, I wrestled a little bit. I played soccer, uh, a little bit of basketball, just whatever I, you know, yeah. And if we had, if you had, you had to have a C average when I was in elementary school, if you were, had a C average when I was up in the mountains, you could go to ski school on Fridays, which basically meant you could just get to go skiing every Friday. So that was important for me to qualify for that. <laughs> nice. The, um, and at this point, what are you, what are you thinking? Like, what are you, are you thinking about? Here's what I want to do after school. Here's what I want to be when I grow up. You know, um, both my uncles were police officers. So that was kind of one of the things on my mind. I'd kind of been around a lot of construction and stuff like that. So I kind of gravitated towards that. But I don't know necessarily say that I was thinking in terms of, you know, what's, what's my career path per se. And then how did fighting, how did you start fighting? Well, you know, I grew up in martial arts. My dad taught martial arts. My grandfather was a boxer. So it was, it was something that I grew up around. I grew up when we were in the Bay area, you know, always going to Chinatown and stuff like that. So martial arts was always a part of my life. And then when I saw the UFC, the first UFC, I was like, ah, I, I think as a lot of people did, you know, they were like, I need to reevaluate their whole martial art thought process that they had going on and, uh, which I did now it put me on a journey of, you know, learning more focused on the grappling and, and the other skills that we saw that were actually effective. So you were, you were primarily like traditional, like karate based stuff. Testing yeah. It like only in the, yeah, only in the studio. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up training more like Wing Chun and stuff like that and more traditional Chinese martial arts. Yeah. So a lot of people watch that first, uh, you know, that first UFC, first couple of UFCs and, and said, hey, this is fun to watch. And then if some said, oh, this is, <clears throat> this is like, um, this is pretty interesting. I should reevaluate how I'm doing my, my training. And then an even smaller amount said, screw it. I think I want to start fighting. This looks, uh, this looks great. What, um, how did you get to that step? Well, for, for me, it was more about the training. I wanted to learn and train. The The fighting just ended up kind of being a byproduct because when, when I saw that, I, it started me on the journey and I, I went to a few different grappling schools and different things and, and none of it really was a click. And then uh, I, I, was, uh, I found the lion's den in Lodi the original one. And, uh, when I walked into that room at that time, it was, you know, it was a who's who of names in the MMA scene. And, uh, it, it was like, okay, this is the environment I need to be in. The, all, everybody here, you know, can, can kick my ass. This is, uh, this is where, I'll, you know, I'll learn and really be able to grow. Yeah. And who was it? like people that don't know who was like, who was the who's who and, and who was at the, the lion's den at that point? Well, at, at, at that time, you know, there was Jerry Bolander there. There was Frank Shamrock there. There was Maurice Smith there. There was Mikey Burnett there. 
there was Pete Williams there. There was Vernon Tiger White. And, and I'm sure I'm forgetting quite a few names, but you know, yeah. th- those are just some of the guys at the top of my head, but it was, it was a, a, a room full of real serious athletes and, and guys that were all actively fighting. And so were you, okay, I found my place. This is the place I'm going to learn. Was it like, I'm there. That's what you do every day. Or are you like doing something else and popping in there for a little bit where you just fully committed right away? And how old are you? Well, at this point? I want to say I was probably 27 or eight at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was working full time. And <laughs> actually at, at that time I was, I was logging. So <laughs> I would, uh, I'd have to dust off all the saw chips off me and, and <laughs> some sweats on. But, uh, yeah, no. So I, I was timber falling uh, during the day and then I would drive down there and train at night and Frank and I hit it off pretty good also. And then he, uh, he transitioned up here to training in San Jose at American kickboxing Academy. And so then when he started training up here and then I was going both places, I was going to Lodi and I was coming up here, uh, with Frank to train with him up here in San Jose. Yeah. We have that funny story. So, so we didn't, we did I didn't know who it was, right. We talked about this. I didn't know who it was until years later, but I was, um, I was at my chiropractor in Los Altos in, I don't even know what, I guess it was probably 1999, 98. And, uh, he was a guy, you know, Dr. Vic, he would just introduce everyone to everyone. He's like, Oh, let me meet you. Let me introduce you to someone. And it was, um, I didn't know anything about fighting or UFC. He's like, oh, this is a guy, Frank Shamrock. I'm like, oh, cool. I've, I've heard the name. It turned out his fiance or wife was a girl that I had gone to high school with. And then Frank was like, you know, tell me, yeah, we just fought. We did some show up. It was, I think it was illegal at this point, right? And he was like, we were up in Oregon. And then he introduced this other guy. And he said, this guy, this guy right here, he's the, he's the future. Like he just had the, you know, I don't know, the, the fastest knockout ever or something like that. And I just remember going, oh, okay. It was just like, this guy with brown hair, a little goatee. And I always wondered who that was, right? And then over the years, as we we became friends and we would talk about things, and I'd be like, who was there? Was this one guy? You guys have any idea who this is that um that Frank was talking about? And I don't know if it was you or Dwayne that was like, Well, no, I think you were actually like, I, I think that might have been me. And it was pretty funny that we met, you know, so yeah. that would have been 10 years before we met, I think, for the first time officially, which is funny that. You were that guy that that the Frank was with. I always thought that was a funny a funny story. So by that point, you'd made this transition from I want to be in a I want to be in this room. I want to learn from these guys. To I want to take this a little bit more seriously. To now you're actually I mean obviously you'd had you started fighting. So how did that? How long did that process take? I think that was about a year, and it was it was it was training all the time with the higher level guys, and then. You know, once I was I was training with Frank all the time. Um, the Lions then closed down. They moved down to San Diego, and I was up here training with Frank day after day after day. And then Frank had other fighters, you know, other professional fighters coming in and training with them. And I started kind of seeing. Uh, I was like, "Hey, I, I do pretty good with all these guys," and I was like, uh, "You know, maybe I'll give this a shot." Yeah. And so how many, how many fights did you have? I had six. Yeah. And how many did you win? Six. And, and what was, how fast was that knockout that I, that I remembered forever? 
I, I don't know. It depends how you count it. The, the, the official count, I think, was like four seconds. But <laughs> from like the time the bell rang to the time I hit him was only like a couple seconds because he sprinted. <laughs> so what happened? He sprinted towards you and you just knocked him out? The, the, bell ra- the bell rang and he literally like sprinted towards me and I took one step forward and hit him and, and he <laughs> fell over and I hit him one more time to make sure. And that was that. <laughs> so at this point, you're 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 really good, right? You're on a path to like like, you know, this career. What what happened? Well, when I fought in the UFC, when I was doing all the eye tests, I I injured my eye back in uh I was like 21 or 20 or something, uh, in a construction and I, I tore the cataract lens in my eye. I put a nail in my eye accidentally. Jeez. And uh in that process of getting licensed, the one eye doctor that I talked to made a lot of sense to me. And he was, it's, it's not about what if something happens to your bad eye because your vision's not so hot on, on that side anyway. But he's like, what if something happens to your good eye? Then what do you do? Then yeah. what's your career? What's your job and everything else? And, and you know, what do you, you know, what are you going to do to, you know, advance your life? And it was after that, I, I had some, some hard thinking to do. What was that like? I mean, you were, I would imagine at this point, you're pretty excited about your future. You found something you're really good at. You're in the UFC. And then, like, what was... Well, the, you know, the, the UFC was different back then. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even about making money or anything like that. And no. I, had a, I had a family. Um, you know, I was, had a couple young kids and so forth. And... So it was like I was fighting and training to kind of accomplish goals. You know, I, I think when I fought in the UFC, it was like 2,000 to show and 1,500 to win. Yeah. Um, so, you know, by, by the time you figure out your time, you're dedicating to training and whatever else. But, you know, it's, the, the pay was, was basically just about accomplishing goals. So, you know, I just I had to think about, you know, what, what, uh, what was going to be responsible for me to do. Yeah. And so that from there, you, did you transition directly into, into coaching or you just kind of kept training, but not fighting, helping people out and then slowly transitioned into that? How did that, how did that happen? Yeah, that kind of happened sort of by accident. Cause in the process of this, Frank moved down to LA and so then I took over kind of teaching the classes and stuff. And then, uh, then other guys wanted to start, you know, fighting and training and, and it, it wasn't anything that was like planned. It just kind of happened and, and kind of grew into what it became. What was it like, like you see people in, in all industries, right, where, where they're early and, you know, early generally just means before, you know, it becomes wildly popular, you know, early could last, you know, 50 years or it could last five days, right? But what was it like to be, to be early and then watch things kind of accelerate? Was it, did it, did everyone see the potential in this and feel like it's just a matter of time until it's you know, legalized everywhere? Or is it just literally like, we just like competing, we're like pushing ourselves and nobody's really thinking about how big this could be? I, I kind of always thought there could be good potential in it, but it, that wasn't the reasoning behind doing it. I, I just enjoyed doing it. It was fun, you know, and and really it all just changed with the Ultimate Fighter. Every Everything, it went from, you know, it went from the kind of small offshoot thing that it was to just overnight was just blown up. It was, it was amazing what happened with that first season of ultimate fighter. 
Yeah, I remember I, li- I was living in Las Vegas and I didn't know anything. I was I actually I would I liked the Contender, the boxing show, and someone called me and said, "Hey, you seen the Ultimate Fighter?" And I was like, "No." And they're like, "The finale's tonight in Vegas. They're playing the whole season right now." And I just remember sitting on the couch. And I watched the whole season and then it went straight into the finale. And I was like, holy shit, like, this is so compelling. Like, especially now that we have backstories and we like some guys and don't like some guys. And like, that was amazing. And it literally, I mean, obviously that, 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 that finale was, was insane. But what was it up? So what was it like in the gym when, like, cause you had some guys on the show, right? Like, how did that process go? So, like, yeah. Dana had called me um, early on and was explaining kind of the show concept and they were still kind of figuring it out. And he's like, yeah, we want to do this show. And he's like, you got any guys that would be like a good fit? I was like, yeah, you know? (laughs) So, uh, and that was, uh, we sent Bobby Southworth, Mike Swick, Josh Koscheck, and John Fitch. And, uh, Fitch got, he was on the plane at the airport, um, to, to go. And, and they said, Oh, we, we, uh, we don't, we don't, we're not going to use you now. We got, uh, all the spots just got filled or whatever. So, but he was, was originally on, on that group too. And, and, you know, flew back or whatever. So yeah, yeah. he was. Bust. And so how did things change? Like, I, I don't know. Well, how long, how long were they gone? Like how long was the whole season filmed? Uh, I think it was just kind of along the normal. It was like six weeks, two months or something. Yeah. Uh, when they came back, was it like, I mean, obviously Koshik, you know, kind of had a personality on that show and came back as kind of like a, a little bit more of a, of a villain, I guess, kind of like, was it like, what was that like watching these guys leave relatively anonymous, you know, decorated in their, in their, you know, wrestling or whatever, but they come back, they leave anonymous and they come back. And with, at least within that, sport they're kind of known and not only that people have feelings about whether they like them or dislike them. <laughs> what was that like well i don't think it was so much just when they came back because you got to remember there was like all the edit time and everything else it was yeah. once the show actually aired that it was like <laughs> it was it, it was re- really uh the, that first one was really something it was funny because well, what was it like to- with the guys that were on there and the guys that weren't like was there a Oh, this is great. Like you're like, you, you've got this notoriety. I want to get it next. Or was it like, Hey, why'd you get to go on? And I didn't get to go on. Like, was there any, was it tough for anyone? Uh, I don't really think so. I mean, you know, fit Fitch would have been the toughest one. Cause he was like, you know, on the plane, yeah. um, go, but you know, it was, it was a while later, but you know, he, he eventually, uh, he got his break to go into the UFC and, and started fighting there and had a, you know, long, good career. So, so was that, was that, was the ultimate, was a tough one really when it was like, okay, this is, there's something exploding right here. And I'm now you're kind of like this coaching role is, is a bigger, and I guess managing, did you, is that when you also, you guys started we managing? Already, we were already doing this for a good while prior. It was just that prior to the ultimate fighter, it was always more of a hobby. It was, it was more, we were just doing it for fun. And, you know, I was, I had already been traveling all over, going everywhere with the fights and so forth. But once ultimate fighter hit, and then all of a sudden it was like sponsorships and all of a sudden the the hobby went from a hobby to just for fun to it, it just 
changed overnight into like a full-time job where it, it, it just, it grew so much and the opportunities grew so much for everybody and just everything changed overnight. You know, it, it went from, as you'll know, you know, a sponsorship prior to the ultimate fighter was getting a free box of clothes. You know? Yeah. And, and then it was at that point, you know, people were throwing around big dollars everywhere. It was, it was, uh, it, it was an amazing time to, to see, you know, be part of that transition. Yeah. So now you've got, um, you know, either way you would have had guys, but now you've got guys on a bigger platform and you've got, you've got guys in, in Fitch and Koshik and Swick, right. That are all one seventies. Um, is there other one seventies and you've got, and you've got GSP, right. And so this was kind of the, to me, this was like the, it was AKA who from AKA is going to take down GSP when GSP is like the, the champion pound for pound guy. Right. And you're, and you're the common threat. You know, you're the, you're the coach in the corner kind of game planning with them. What was that? I don't even know how that was probably over a period of what, three, three years, three or four years where, where there was kind of like this, this little bit of a rivalry or a little, this goal that, Hey, one of us has got to do this. What was that? Um, what was that? I like? mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so much about, let's say GSP. It was about getting to the title. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, GSP was the roadblock to the title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talented. So, you know, and, uh, but yeah, he was, you know, he, he was uh, obviously a tremendous champion and uh, to, to get past him in his heyday was a, a very daunting task. And what's it like when there's multiple guys in the same gym that are like going, like, you know, it's, all right, you go, you've got this chance. We're all going to support you do it. Okay. Hey, we see what you did. I'm next. I'm going to do it. And the next guy I'm next. Like, what's that dynamic? Like, like in the, in the gym, well, you know, it, what, what's good is, you know, having the guys in the gym around the similar weight you know, it's, it's, they, they push each other, you know, and, and you had no choice. If you were a 70 pounder in the gym, you, you better you get real good uh, at everything real quick because otherwise it's going to be a rough day in the gym. You know, it was, yeah. uh, you know, you had Swick who was long and fast. Um, and, and then, you know, Fitch, who was a, a grinder wrestler and then Koscheck, who's, you know, athletic, hard right hand and, and tough grappler and, and whatever. And, you know, you, you better, uh, you better get good at it all real quick. And how do you keep those? Um, well, you, what it seems like you guys did a great job of is like guys there for a long time, really felt like a team supported each other, even though they're all kind of going for the same thing. They're all looking at what each other's getting, whether it's notoriety or opportunities or fights or whatever. How does that, like, how did you guys keep the team intact during those, those times? Well, you, you, because really they need each other for the success. You, you know, you, you can't go train by yourself and, and find high level success. You, you need good training partners. You need good sparring partners. You know, you need good grappling partners. You need good wrestling partners to be able to push yourself. And if, if you don't have that available, available, it's it's very difficult to achieve a high level success. Yeah, and I know from talking to you over the years, you were always beat up because you were still in there. Um, even as you were getting up in age, you were still going in there and be like, "All right." Not only with those guys, right? You would you would uh, you would you would get in there with needed with with the bigger guys. What was it like? Like how good how good would you ever you sit there and you go, "Here's what here's what I I could have done if my eye had had been okay." Like, did you, did you spend time thinking about that and and, 
and or is it just something where you just had that personality where you're like, well, that's not what's happening, so I'm not going to think about that. You know, the the time that was challenging years later, Dana called me when they had the Ultimate Fighter comeback show, and uh, I said, he's like, you know, we're we're bringing back all all the guys, and it was the one that Matt Sarah won. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, give me a week to train, and I'll give you my answer at the end of a week. And I went from like going to the gym and training when I want to, no pressure, no stress, everything's fine. To like when I went in the next week with that in the back of my mind, I was like, the pressure that I put on myself. And it was like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> you know, because all of a sudden you, you're trying to hold yourself to a, the su- super high standard. And I was like, I don't like the feeling of all the nerves and everything that I have to deal with this. And, uh, and I was like, you know, this isn't fun. I'm not enjoying this. And I, I thought, what, what's going to advance, what's going to advance my life more? Is it going to be coming back, doing the show, fighting a few fights and going back into being retired? Or do I continue on this path of building, you know, that was, it was after the first season that Dwayne and I, that the management company had really exploded and we'd really started building the team and the, the company and everything else. It's like, do I, do I go back and, and become a fighter again? Or do I continue on the path of building the business and what we're doing now? And obviously I chose to uh, take the easy path and the less nerve wracking path of, uh, you know, and everybody, the whole nerve thing in the competition is different for everyone. Um, you know, some people handle it better than others. Some people it, it's very tough for, and I think people that have an extensive wrestling background, that's a big advantage because they're just so used to the one-on-one competing over so many years, just mentally to deal with the stress of preparing for competition and, and, the standards that you hold yourself for. I, I think the, you know, all that time of wrestling through college and all that really is beneficial. Yeah. What else, what is it? What else do you look for? Like when you're looking for guys either to represent or to add, which I guess generally is that you add them to your, to your gym. Like, what are you, I mean, obviously you could see, you know, you can't just go to the, you can't just, I don't, I was imagine you can't just go to the NCAAs and say, okay, here's the top, five, 10 guys in each, in each weight class, they're going to make great MMA fighters. Like what else are you, what are, what are you well, looking for? You know, um, among the wrestlers, you know, n- not all of the wrestlers want to be fighters. And, and some of, I mean, it really takes a certain per- type of personality to really want to do this and push yourself in, in the fighting and, and the, the grit, a lot of great athletes can go just compete and and do really well. But at a certain point in your career, you're going to have to be a fighter <laughs> and to, to get to the highest levels of this business. And that's just a certain mentality type. And not everybody possesses that. Can it be taught? Like you got, you bring guys into the gym, they've got all the physical tools. They, they get hit or they get something that's just not, what they're used to and they, I would imagine 
the majority of people are, you know, their, their initial reaction to it is not the same as it will be in the future, right? Some of them will be like, wow, <clears throat> wasn't expecting that. Didn't know how that was going to feel, but I'm not, I'm okay with that. Let's power through. And some are like, I just don't like that. I, I think there's, there's a difference. Um, there's getting desensitized to it because as time goes by, you kind of get desensitized to like the trauma and everything that goes along with it and, and the mental intensity. But the part where down deep, whether you're a fighter or not, that's something you have or you don't. I don't think you learn that or you get taught that or you work your way into that. It's where do they find maybe, that out? Uh, hopefully sooner than later. You, know, you can find that out it, in training or you have to get, you have to be in that moment in the fight. Sometimes you see glimpses of it in training. You know, you see glimpses of an issue that's, that is there or not there. Uh, and then, you know, the, the first time when, you know, it's a scary opponent or you're challenged a little bit, that's, that's when you find out. Yeah. And then what is that as a coach? How do you deal with that? You, you've got to, you know, you've got to tell them like, Hey, I, yeah. I saw fear or, you know, what do you, I, I tend to be a little bit, uh, brutally honest and tell people what I think. Not, I'm not, the, not that I'm always right, but yeah. you know, I'll, I'll let them know. Um, and they can try to prove me wrong, but like, I don't want them to waste their time and I don't want them to waste my time either. Yeah. So if, if you've, if you've got a deficiency in that, you're, you're much better off to go do something else. Like really in this business, you need to be able to compete at the highest level or you should be doing something else. You know, this is, this is not a business that you want to be mediocre at. I mean, that's, that's not a good yeah. place to be. The, the, the penalty losing are far too high. And where is like, um, ego versus like fear? Like, you know, is it like you find guys where you're like, Hey, you, you're just not willing to put yourself in the situation that you need to put yourself in because you don't want to look bad versus, Hey, I know you're scared of getting hit in the face or you're scared of getting something broken or whatever. Like, is that, an, is it all kind of one and the same or is there any two different things? It, 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 it's hard to say, but I'm going to, so there's a difference. Like I think every fighter has to have a big ego. I mean, just by the nature of what it is, yeah. you know, you need that, but you want your ego to be based on something. <laughs> you don't want it just to be a delusional ego of, you know, oh, I, I watched Rocky and I shadow boxed in the mirror. I'm go, I'm ready to go be the world champion. You, you want to have it based in something for a reason. Like you've competed at a high level your whole life, or you're a, a champion boxer, or a kickboxer, or a champion wrestler, or a champion jujitsu player. And you, you've, you've got a background, you know, you've been able to succeed at, at a high level or, or you've worked your way up through the gym over the years and, and you're competing with the best guys in the gym that are, you know, world champions themselves. Well, then that's a good indication that, you know, you're ready to try things at a high level. Uh, you don't want to just think, oh, I can do this just because I believe in myself, but it's not based yeah. on anything. It's just delusion. And what happens if they disagree? Like, right. What if it's like, um, Hey, 
like, or I guess there's the other conversation, right? Of like, hey, you're you're doing everything. You're, you're making the most out of what you've got. You just don't have enough either the physical tools, or you know, you're past your you're past your time. Like the path to get where you want to be, it's never going to be a full time career. Like, is generally like, I mean, I I would assume there's a certain self awareness that comes from fighting. Like it's very clear. Sometimes um, not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Be surprised, yeah. but you know, I, I I tell them, and I was like, you know, if you want to, if, if like in that scenario, I would say do this as a hobby to accomplish your goals. Don't think that you're doing this as a career. Yeah, uh, unless you're capable of doing it at the highest level. If you want to, you know, check the box. Really, which was myself, you know, check the box of accomplishing a goal for yourself, but don't think that you're going to just do this as a career to make, you know, a lot of money because only the very best of the best actually can accomplish that. Yeah. And then another question as a coach. So what's it like when you're, you've, you've gone through camp, you've, everything's going great. You've, the guy's got all the skills. He's got all the tools. He's got the right mindset. And then you get into a fight and it's just, what are you doing? This is not what we practice. This is not what you were doing in camp. Like, Something happens, you know, hear guys say, I just didn't feel right when I went out there. What's that like as a, as a coach? Well, I mean, there's generally, there's two types of guys. There's guys that are great in the gym and then the bell rings and, and, you know, they just like, what happened? That's not the same guy that I, that I have day to day. And then there's other guys that, I, I guess there's a few, but then there's the guys that are not so hot in the gym, but the bell rings, lights, the camera come on. And you're like, where'd this guy come from? He's a rock star. Yeah. Um, they, they live for the moment. They live for that competition. And then you have guys that are just consistent. They're good in the gym and they're good in the ring. They're just, consi- you know, they're very consistent all the time. Yeah. Have you had a guy where like, okay, he doesn't seem to totally get it during training. And then the first time he goes out there, you're like, wow, this guy just needed the spotlight and the, I guess the, cause there's a spotlight, right? Plus there's also the, well, there's no turning back now, you know, I might, now yeah. I gotta go, you know, fight or flight type thing. Is there a good example of a guy like that? Well, you know, I mean, not to name any names, but I think I will. Paul uh, <laughs> Bonatello was one of those guys, you yeah. know, in the, in the gym, he would get beat up by like everybody from the smallest guy to the, to the heavy, it didn't matter. Like, and he was always, you know, it was always a fight to get him to train or it's like, do you think you're cheating me when you're skipping out on training or you're cheating yourself? I mean, it's like, (laughs) I'm not the one getting in the ring. You're getting in the ring. And it was, it was like this giant cat and mouse game to get him to train and do what he was supposed to be doing. And, you know, you'd see him getting beat up in the gym by literally by like a 145 pounder. And you're like, what is going on here? And then the bell would ring when it was fight time. And it was like this different guy would come out and, and fight his ass off. <laughs> like, yeah. What was that guy? And what was it? What would he say when it was like, I mean, obviously the first time, maybe it surprised him too, but like, or he knew all along, I'm, I'm saving myself for the fight. But what was it like that next camp where you're like, because now you're starting to think, well, maybe he, maybe he can do it without doing it. Like, what was that? What were those conversations like? Well, it, <laughs> it was always the same stuff, you know, just 
trying to get him in there and be consistent and train hard and work on what he was weak at. Um, but you know, he was, uh, he was a performer, you know, if, 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 if you saw him in the gym and compared to him in the ring, it would, I mean, it was just the night and day difference. It was, it was literally, it was comical. And what about, um, you know, we always heard, we, we heard the legend of like Kane, right? So Kane comes along, doesn't look like he'd have cardio for days. Doesn't look like he'd be incredibly athletic when a guy, but then he comes into the gym and, and all you would hear. And obviously when I would, you know, with the throne of the sponsor reaching out going, who's and you're like, everyone, this guy is, you know, going to be unbelievable. What's it like when, when someone walks into the gym and they're just, they're just a little bit different than everyone else. Like, what does it do for the team? What is it as a coach? What well, are you thinking? This reminds me of a story that, that um, with Kane, and it really relates back to your other question on do you know, how do you know if somebody's a fighter or not? Yeah. And so Kane's first day when he walked in the gym, you know, we, we put all of his gear on and we have him like doing some kickboxing. He, you know, he's very athletic, but he doesn't really know what he's doing all that well. And there was a like a kind of more of a traditional kickboxer in there, and and the guy kicked him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> and Kane immediately just like scooped him up and threw him on his head and started beating the crap out of him. It was like, that was a good indication that Kane was a fighter. You know, <laughs> he, when he got kicked in the head, he didn't complain about it or whatever. He immediately retaliated viciously. So yeah. like, all right, I think he's going to be okay. What was the process like of identifying Kane? Cause he was, he was a, a really good collegiate wrestler, but he wasn't, or unless I'm, he wasn't the national champion, right? He wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, it was, uh, Dwayne had a, had a relationship with, uh, the coach over there at the ASU at the time, Tommy, and he'd been telling him about, you know, Kane for a good while, the work ethic, the cardio that he had and, and just the desire. And he's like, this kid's going to make a better fighter than a wrestler. And, you know, sure enough, he was. Yeah. And so when guys come in on that first day, you know, you, I assume, I don't know how it works, but I'm assuming it's like, hey, we got a new guy coming in, you know, and or people have heard, oh, I heard you guys signed a guy you think is going to be like hot shit, heavyweight guy, whatever. Are the guys in the gym like, this is going to be a fun day. Let's all test him. Or is it more like, oh, no, he's going to be part of our team. So let's let's ease him into this. Let's make sure he like wants to I be here. I think I think it's a mixture and I think it depends what, what guy you draw on what day, you know, yeah. I think that, uh, that varies, you know, uh, on the, on the dynamics and how you carry yourself and whether, whether, you know, if you walk into the gym cocky on your first day, you're, you're going to probably have a rougher day than if you come in the gym and you're humble and respectful to everybody. Yeah. And what if you get a guy like, what about when you have a guy like that, right? Where you hear, you know, Kane's just like, you know, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a half speed switch. He's just going crazy during 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 training each day. Like how do you how do you get the guys up to all right, you're with Kane next, you're with Kane next, you're with Kane next, or do you just have to keep bringing fresh people in? Like why would it's, they want to do that every to themselves every day? They don't. <laughs> it's fresh people. <laughs> and uh, you know, everybody's you know, in his heyday, you know, everybody would have to trade off rounds or maybe even half rounds. And it was just like, it, you know, it was just part of it. And, and that's part of, you know, when you go to the gym, you know, every day is not going to be a good day. So 
I was like, you might have had a great day for the rest of your day there, but you might have drawn for one round with Kane. And so, you know, you had a miserable five minutes you had to survive. <laughs> what about injuries? Like how, how do, how do more people not get injured in training? I mean, I guess, it, well, I guess there's probably, I don't know why I'm asking you a question and then I'm trying to answer it, but I'm, I'm assuming that the, the reality is everyone's got a lot of little injuries. We're just trying to avoid big injuries, but like, how do guys fight every day or let's say spar three times a week without there being more injuries, even with the pads? Well, I mean, you're competing with each other, but you're also taking care of each other. I mean, I mean you, you need each other day after day. So it's like, you're not trying to injure your opponent. You know, you're, you're trying to take care of each other somewhat. And for coaches, we're trying to kind of observe. And if somebody's looking too tired or whatever, you know, pull them out or swap them or, you know, do different things so that, they can, uh, you know, not get too beat up and, and be able to keep continue to go. And what about when you see someone who's not following those rules? Is it more like you pull them aside, or it's more there's a process of like, hey, you got your veterans in the corner, and you're like, all right, let's 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 remind this guy that we he should take it easy. I don't know why I'm just well, like fascinated by the dynamics of this. You know, I I think that depends on what why is it happening, what's going on. You know, I, I mean some days, you know, guys want to shit talk each other and, and they want to scrap extra hard and Hey, you know what? <laughs> Have at it. You guys, you guys are going to talk it, you know, walk it. So, or, or, you know, if it's just a situation where you can tell somebody's having a bad day, a rough day, or they're not, they don't not have the right mentality. Well then, you know, maybe you, you, you pull them out or you swap them or you send them back to more light sparring or something else. They're just, you know, having a rough day. Yeah. I remember going to the old AKA once and, uh, coming in like near the end of, of your practice. And I think it was Koshek and, and DC were going at it like a little bit, a little bit too hard and kind of just yelling at each other. And it was almost like wanting to fight. So in an, in a, in a sport, which is fighting, I guess to your last point, is that something where it would it would alarm you a little bit if there was no edginess? Well, usually not, especially when it comes to DC, because he was always trying to like instigate problems. So <laughs> that's what he does. <laughs> so, it was it was you know it's nothing alarming to 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 hear him talking smack and and, and trying to create problems because yeah. he specializes in that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> finds it very entertaining. <laughs> Before we get to DC, one, one, one last thing on Kane, which kind of back to the injuries is like, so obviously for yourself, right? You had something that was severe and there could be like lifelong repercussions. And you're like, I gotta, I gotta make a decision. But a lot of times you get guys leading up to big fights or, or just any fight and they've got little things, but they've also put in this time. I've always thought MMA is such a hard sport because you can't really control your own destiny as far as when your next fight is, who you fight next you don't take an opportunity, that opportunity might be gone, right? TJ Dillashaw fought a fight with a shoulder that wouldn't stay in. And he's like, listen, I had to do it because I don't know when I would ever get back. You know, like that's the, um, how do you deal with that when a guy's a little banged up and you're like, I don't think you should take this fight. Or maybe you are like, Hey, you're just going to have to power through and versus, or maybe there's a guy that's like, I don't think I should take this fight. I'm a little banged up. Like how does, how does well, that? Obviously, I, I think in hindsight, uh, TJ would have probably made a little different decision. Hmm. Um, I think you have to look at if you have a structural injury that is going to affect your performance and what you can physically do, 
you shouldn't be fighting. If you've got bruises and pain, but you can still accomplish and do what you need to do, that's different. Yeah. Um, what about Kane? Like, what about what about Kane going into like UFC 100? I mean, like, right? Let's, I don't know. This, you can tell the story there. Like, he, it, the story was he was hurt, but there was just so much pressure. And that's the other thing. When you're headlining a show, it's got to be different, especially the first show on Fox, and you're close enough to a fight, and the UFC wants you to fight. They've been promoting you. You want to get paid. Like, what was that? What was that? Can you talk about that situation now that he's he's no longer yeah. fighting? I, I mean, that was. Uh... You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Just like with TJ, you know that may not have been that may not have been the best uh, you know best situation. But it's it's just been my experience when whenever you're training for high level fights that you're not able to do full training. So let's say, for instance, it's your back, right? So you're going to say, oh. I'll, I'll train today, but, uh, I'm, I'm only gonna, I'm only gonna box or I'm not going to wrestle because my back hurts or, you know, you say, um, my knee hurts, so I'm not going to be doing any kicking, uh, you know, or I'm not going to be running because my, my knee is hurting any, any time that you're going into a fight, you're competing against an opponent, of course, that you have to assume is hundred percent or close to it. And you're not able to do everything in order to prep for that because you have a restriction um, that is not back to being 100% by fight time. Usually doesn't come to a good outcome. Yeah. Well, how do you how do you deal with guys coming off a loss, especially guys that have have strung together wins, they've put themselves in title contention, and then they lose, and it's like now they have this. It always seems so cruel that you could be fighting for a title one day, you lose. And now you're in the back of the line and a line that has no order, uh, has no timeline. It's like, it just seems so disheartening to me to get right there and then be told, Hey, you know, maybe let's say maybe you're going to fight two or three times a year. And let's say you're going to need to string together like three or four wins to get back there. I mean, in consecutively, like what's that like for the guy? Like how long does it take them to, to come back to like, all right, I got to get back to the grind. It might take me a couple of years, but I, uh, do guys generally bounce back from that pretty well because they don't see it the way that I would as a fan. They see it more as like, I fight, I had a fight. It was for the title. Now I'll train and I'll get another fight. Or do they think in ahead? Um, I, I think for the most part, it's like, you're looking out not from that perspective. It's more from the perspective of what did I do wrong? What can I do to improve? Uh, how can I be better? But you know, the interesting thing about fighting and winning and losing is, there's there's a lot of momentum to it when you're winning you've got a lot of momentum to your winning and it carries you forward when you start losing it's the same you know you start losing and it becomes easier to lose and you mean like mentally it, like it's you're like it's easier to to accept a loss because you just had to accept it so you might like find a way out earlier or i don't even think it's so much let's say finding a way out i think it's you're holding yourself at such a high standard of you're winning and you're used to winning. You find that way to win. It starts going the wrong direction, especially if you've got a couple of losses in a row, you stop maybe believing in yourself quite as much and things just start happening the wrong direction. And mentally 
you may not be in the position to force it back to the right direction because you're just so used to winning and you're just not going to accept it. You're not going to accept that loss. So you do whatever it takes to, to get it going back the right direction, no matter what. Hmm. And I, I think, you know, there's, there's a very big mental component, of course, to the winning and the losing. It's not just a matter of skill set. Yeah. So to the, to the mental aspect, we got DC. So DC came in later in life, right? He was thirties when he, when he, yeah, I think he first came out of AK, right. Just to help coach a little wrestling, but I don't, I never knew the story. We went to lunch that day. Was it, was it because was he coming in to coach and then you guys would talk him into fighting or was he coming in curious about no, fighting? He came in to be a fighter. Okay. All right. I always thought it was like this. I was like, I thought it was like he came to coach for a, a week and then he just loved it or something. So he came to be a fighter. Like what was the, um, what were your expectations for him seeing that obviously he was decorated wrestler, but he was older. Yeah. You know, Dwayne had super high regards to him in the wrestling world. And he's like, this guy just wins. And, uh, you know, when we, when we threw him in there right out of the gate, you know, you could just tell like his technique was all terrible, but he had a knack for being able to land punches and you could tell he was a competitor. You know, he was, even though he was terribly out of shape, you know, he was super athletic um, he was probably 275 and did like standing backflip. Was like hmm, something doesn't quite add up here. <laughs> it's like that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, you could definitely tell like he had you know that that fighting spirit that you were asking about earlier. That uh, you know he, he had it and and you know wanted to go do it. And so it was. He actually had a very express career from the get go. I mean, I think he fought within a month of, of showing up to the gym and basically knowing nothing to having like first sparrings and doing all that to actually getting in the ring. Yeah. And is that where you're saying, Hey, you're ready? Or he's saying, Bob, I'm ready. Put me in there. Let's go. I don't have enough. I don't have any time to waste. No, it wasn't even so much that it was, it was, there's not a lot of time to waste and there was an opportunity, you know, yeah. there was uh strike force at the time was going to Oklahoma. So it was kind of a home city. And so he'd be able to sell some tickets and, and we'd be a little bit of a local draw. And it was, it was a chance to, to just get him in there and, and, you know, make it happen. And what was he like when he, when he hit like, so Kane at the time when DC got there, Kane was either champion or, a, or soon, already, to champion. soon to be champion, but he was, <laughs> Kane was already very established at that time. And so what was, you know, I, I, did DC have that moment where it was like, let's see how he deals with this. I mean, imagine you threw him in there with Kane and like, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Do you remember like something where you either, you said, okay, this is going to be good or. Well, it was, uh, you know, obviously initially it wasn't very good for him, but you know, it was, you know, he, he took, you know, he took the small victories of, okay, maybe I can just get a takedown today or, you know, just those, those little things to start building on. But he was, you know, you could tell he was in there to compete and and put the work in, and he and he did not shy away from it whatsoever. He would get in there and and uh, you know share his miserable rounds with everybody else when Kane was in his heyday and he was just starting out. Yeah, and what was that? You know, you had it, you had it with the welterweights. You had it with it. like, what was what did that do for both of their careers to have to have them both there at the same time and be able to train every day? Like, would were they just so good that it? You, you someone else would have trained there or do you think just being there together 
kind of propelled them both farther than they would have got? Well, I mean, it was, it, it was, uh, no doubt Kane really expedited DC's career because he had such a high level training partner every day, but there was also, you know, Bobby Southworth that trained with the heavyweights. There was also Paul Buenatello that trained with the heavyweights. Mike Kyle was in the training with these guys. Um, trying to think what are the other large guys that we had, but it was, you know, it was all those big guys in there working all the time to, you know, get everybody better. And, and, and it worked. Yeah. That reminded me, you had like guys, uh, like you had players from the 49ers and, and different teams that would come in, right. Just for, just from time to time to kind of see what it was like. What was the, what feedback did you get from them about like, I mean, they're world-class athletes, incredibly strong, incredibly fast, incredibly coordinated. What feedback did you get from them of like, huh, this is just different. Like what was the, what, what, what do you think they didn't expect? Well, not a whole lot of guys that actually climbed in and did much with Kane come back (laughs) (laughs) because Kane was always so much pressure and always in your face so much, no matter what he was doing, the level of exhaustion that you would have was just miserable. Um, because, you know, he knew that his cardio was a weapon. So, you know, at best, if you were going with Kane is you were just going to get miserably tired. (laughs) So with, so, so DC and Kane, when Kane's champion, DC's uh, incredible athlete, maybe not the most disciplined and, and great shape in a weird way, but like not the most disciplined, I would imagine like food wise, et cetera. So like, so he's got. What would give you that idea? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, hey, this is my, this is my training partner. He's the champion. I'm starting later. I don't have all the time in front of me. I'm a heavyweight, but I'm gonna. I can't do that. That's my training partner. That's his. That's his division. I'm gonna go down to light heavyweight, which probably. Well, I don't know. Actually, I'd like to hear your opinion. It seems like that might have been the best thing that happened to him because it forced him to to commit a little bit more to stay in, in shape, he got his, you know, he got that belt. He was still able to get up to heavyweight. What would have like, well, two questions. Uh, well, I guess the main question is like, how is that? I understand there's, it's selfless and it's like, but there's gotta be like in, in gyms, there's one gym right now. Is it at, um, I think it's uh, Sterling, right? His training partner is like a top five in their weight class. And they've already said they'll never fight. And it's like that guy's, you know, the commentators will say, well, that guy's kind of stuck. Like he's, we can't even consider him for a title fight. Like, how does that, like, I would imagine back in the day, probably Fitch, Goss, Swick, they would have just said, fuck it, let's fight each other. We'll get paid. I, I don't know. But that was my, that was my, my hunch. Well, we never got there because GSP was always a roadblock. Yeah. So, but they would, <laughs> would, would, would they, they seem like they have the personality where they could have said, let's do it for the money. Ideally not. I mean, they, they were all real close to each other. Um, yeah. you know, Kane and DC were obviously very close to each other and, you know, s- certain guys are more capable of changing weight classes than other guys, body type and composition and so forth. I mean, DC is definitely, you know, obviously capable of, of doing the two Oh five, but obviously super capable at heavyweight, you know, and then, you know, he was fighting the whole time at heavyweight. And then the, when, you know, when the UFC strike force merger happened, um, then it put him, you know, put them somewhat on a collision course to each other. And, you know, that was, uh, that was when DC's like, well, you know, 
I can, I can make the weight. I mean, he did wrestle, I think, what was it, 187s or something in high school, or not high school, but in college. Yeah. So, you know, we, we knew it was possible. What, and I guess in that scenario, you can't really, you can't really complain because a guy, you know, DC even at like, I don't even know how you put a number on it, 99% dedicated, right? If 1% food, or I don't know if you put a 10% or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Like, but you know with guys that like, if you just give me 100 you can be so much better. And then they don't, they won't give you a hundred. Like, what is it? What is that like as a coach? You know, I, I, I think this goes in general, generally speaking, we're almost all our own worst enemy. We all sabotage ourselves much more so than anybody else does. And, you know, that, that's just, you know, an example of it's like, this was, I think in the middle of him at two Oh five and we stop at a gas station somewhere and, it's, it's like, you know, he, he walks out and he's drinking a Dr. Pepper and eating a, you know, a king size snicker bar. And, you know, it's like, you know, so it's like we're, we're fighting in the gas station parking lot over the food. I'm trying to knock the food out of his hand and he's trying to guzzle it, eat it as fast as he can. And but, I mean, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's funny. The, um, what about like, um, you know, obviously DC made the transition. I mean, I guess as well as anyone's ever done it right from, from fighting into a second career with as a media personality and a, and a commentator as a, cause you're not just a coach you're the manager. Like what's that, when does that process start? And what's it like with guys? Like when during their career, we start talking about, Hey, what else are you doing? Like outside of this or, you, you know, know, that's the the interesting thing is uh, DC and I have always been super close. And especially in the early years uh, before there was the big team and all the stuff and all the entourage that goes everywhere, you know, it would literally just be him and I flying to, you know, some wherever in Arizona, some Indian reservation or to Australia or whatever. And it was like, we actually kind of talked about all of these things and steps early on of, and it's one of those rare circumstances where almost everything played out somewhat as like we discussed and, and so forth. So it, it was really, really nice to kind of see everything come to fruition. Yeah. And what about other guys? Like what, you know, do you, is it like, Hey, this is, this is my responsibility or not. This is something I'll help you with if you ask me, but it's not, I need you focused on fighting and I don't want to talk to you about anything else. Or is it a process of like, especially a guy where you're like, this may not be the thing that's going to make ends meet and Hey, or in any guy's scenario, this is not going to last forever. No, like, it, it, it doesn't last forever and you have to be ready to transition. But at the same time, you have to be dedicating a hundred percent of yourself yeah. to come being ready to compete in order to compete at the highest level. But you better have an idea of where it's going because it's a pretty small window that you have to, you know, make it at the top. And then when you're coming out of that, you don't want to be 40 years old, essentially, with no job experience um, entering the workforce when you're now, you know, how many years after college uh, and what do you put on your resume, you know, a, a fighter. So those are all things that need to take place and what, what's your game plan? What's your thoughts on that? And, and I think the hardest part is 
people have a hard time struggling to give up the identity of being a fighter. It's addictive, the attention, the, the, the crowd, the, the competition, everything that goes along with it, it's, it's very addicting. And there has to come a point where you have to go, okay, I'm now I'm a, I'm a commentator or I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm running the school or I'm, you know, whatever the, whatever your job you're pursuing is and take the same work ethic and effort that you did in your competitive career, most all of a sudden think, well, I don't have to, I'm, I'm retired from all that. I don't have to put the working should be easy. Well, no, nothing's ever easy to take that same drive that compelled you to be successful in the ring to be successful at whatever that next venture is putting, putting the, the ring behind you, making whatever your new pursuit is, your new job, to be competitive in that, to try to work your way towards the top of that and to put the same effort and workload that you did to succeed in your fighting career, in your career afterwards. And, and I, I think that's where a lot of people fall short. They, they don't focus on it and, and don't a lot of them, you know, also may not have the life experience um, and need some guidance and, and, so forth to kind of guide them along the way where they can guide them to success. Yeah. I think it's hard for anyone, especially anyone public facing. It's not even about, can you get yourself to do it? It's like, it's hard not to be aware of the perception that people have of you and like, you know, Oh, Hey, you're, you're, you're famous or you're this, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't start here. You should go straight to this or, Hey, you should have that because you're, known by this many people. I forgot. So Thompson is also, Josh Thompson's also a commentator for, for Bellator. You got DC, obviously in the UFC. What's that process? Like, I always wondered, like there's all these fighters and I assume it's very, there's only a few spots and they don't come open very often. How do they express interest and how do they get those opportunities? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's not just the opportunity also, you know, you have to be, you have to be skilled and, you know, you have to be a good commentator. Yeah. And, you know, not just anybody can do that. So, you know, if, if you're well-spoken and you present yourself well and you're a company guy, those obviously go, you know, a big step in the right direction. But that's not a good fit for everybody. and Not everybody can do it. Yeah. But does the UFC say, hey, you, you know, we've noticed you handle yourself well in interviews, et cetera, et cetera. Or is there a process where a fighter has to raise his hand and say, hey, I'd like to be considered for any future openings? I think it's it's more about you know how how do you handle yourself in the interviews and how do you, how do you present yourself and and what's the public reaction you know like and what what kind of um, you know it factor when you know for instance you know your YouTube or Instagram or or your interviews are 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 they creating interest is it, are you presenting yourself well and in a professional manner and you know, is, is the company see where that's going to relate to being their benefit for them? Yeah. Is there, has there been anything more surprising in your career than, than Kashik ending up running like a military contracting company? I mean, what did you, what did you think Josh would end up doing after he fought? Well, actually I'm not overly surprised. You know, Josh has always been a super hard worker at anything that he's done. Um, not that he always works the easiest way, <laughs> uh, but 
but he, you know, whether it was some apartments that him and I had together or when he was working, you know, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that he's successful at all because he, he will, you know, outwork most anybody in the room. So yeah. a lot of times that's enough. Was his personality that MMA fans were aware of, was that accurate reflection of his personality? Like, was it part of his personality or was it just completely off how he was on a day-to-day basis? I think, you know, that kind of depends, like, you know, whether he respects you or doesn't respect you. And, you know, I I think, uh, as you know yourself, you know, you kind of got to ignore, you know, a certain percentage of what comes out (laughs) of his mouth. (laughs) Just don't pay any attention to it. And then everything's all right. Can you tell the story? I mean, I I love the story of like, uh, I don't know if you or him sent me a picture one day. And you guys were in in Fresno. You were doing something. You were cleaning up something. And you were approached by... Oh, it was a picture of you. I think he sent me a picture of you, like, squared up about to fight with someone. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? Why are you taking a picture? (laughs) We we were... uh, We were in the... I don't know. Kind of in in the ghetto of Fresno working on one of our apartments that we had down there. And I think we just got it and we were like cleaning it out and throwing all, all this debris and trash and, and like the big garbage bin and stuff. And so we're down there and there's kind of like a homeless crazy guy or whatever. And, and Josh had his like back kind of turned towards him as he was like in the dumpster, like trying to like smash stuff down and I kind of noticed the guy was like sneaking up on him. And so I, uh, I, I yelled at him or whatever. And then that <laughs> when I, when I yelled at him to kind of give him a heads up to turn around, then the guy kind of came towards my direction or whatever. And, and, uh, anyway, but he, he was just out of his mind and, and he was, he was like, <laughs> saying a bunch of stuff that made zero sense whatsoever and wanting to fight somebody or I don't even know. Anyway, so <laughs> anyway, he wanted, he talked a bunch and, and then uh, he went all about his way, but there, there was, there was a point where it was, uh, it was pretty questionable whether I was going to end up having to scrap with him. <laughs> the one part, I think, the, I'm, I'm so jealous of, uh, I'm so jealous of like, you know, you guys for the, just the physical sense of security you have, you know, I was thinking like, God, I would, I would love to have that calm. Like I'm probably pretty, you know, what is the word, uh, j- you know, jittery in general, but like, I'm like, I would love to have like, be in this situation where it's like, huh, Bob's like literally squared up, like he's about to fight. seems okay with it. And Josh is just thinks this is really entertaining and is sitting there taking a picture, you know, whereas I would probably be or whatever, frozen, yeah. frozen or running. And it's just like, that's the, that's the, when I think well, of things my, like that. My biggest concern at the time was like, man, I sure hope I don't have to hit this guy because I don't know what kind of disease I might get if I punch <laughs> my mouth or something and bust my knuckle. <laughs> that's crazy. So how do you, um, like, what's next? Like, like, where's the, you know, what does the next generation of fighter look like? I mean, are you, are you still are you still are you still spending as much time coaching and, and managing? Are you still having You yeah. know, I've I've got a, a a few of the younger guys that we're working on, um, a couple of Oklahoma State guys, and you know, 
all, all wrestlers and Nick Piccinini. But right now it's, uh, I mean, you you could say, you know, a lot of the kind of the guys that are dominating, um, you know, all these Russian guys that are coming from, you know, hard living over in, in some of these places that, uh, you know, I, I think uh, these guys have grown up training hard and, and and they've come they've come from a hard lifestyle and they're used to working really hard. And so it's, it's they're going to take the next generation there's uh every year that goes by the talent pool is just getting higher and higher and higher and higher so yeah. the standards and and being ready to fight you know it the days of just kind of training for six months or a year and you're going to be you know ready to kind of jump in there with whatever the, those days are kind of getting over the skill level is just so high now that it's you know it's going to take a lot of training and a lot of skills to be really ready to go and what about the difference between, um, you know, last couple of questions. What about the difference? <clears throat> what about the difference between, you know, you started and it was like, cause I want to push myself and I, and I want to see, I like this and it's a way of life and I want to, I want to see how far I can go with it to now. Obviously there's a lot more money and fame and those kind of things. So you've got guys that have grown up with it. So they've probably spent a lot more, they've got more skills. They've got a better understanding of everything, but at the same time, part of the appeal to them is the fame and the money and like how quickly that might happen. Like, have you, is it one of those things where, and it gets the same thing when you talk about these guys coming over from Russia, just like, just hungrier. Is it like, are there going to be more guys that are more skilled, more well-rounded, but just give up a little bit easier because they want it fast. And if they don't, they'll just well, do something. I, else. I mean, yeah you kind of like you'll see those guys that come into the gym that I was talking about earlier that might be a little delusional like they they might be like professionally zero and zero but they're coming in with their own uh, media team to you know get all their uh, media out and their YouTube channel and their Instagram you know feed and everything else they got going on but they really haven't accomplished anything yet so like they kind of got the the cart in front of the horse yeah. um and those kind of guys, I don't think are ever going to catch up to the guys that are grown up training hard and really not concerned with that. And, and all that will follow when you're successful. It's like, don't, don't worry about your, your, your Instagram following before you're anybody. It's like, it'll all come together when it's supposed to it's, but you better have the skills first and, and the drive and the work ethic. Yeah. Who got more out of their ability? Like you're, you're the guys you've coached at AKA the whole time. Who, who got more out of their career with their ability than, than anyone else? Is there someone that immediately comes to mind? Like, what do you mean by that? I don't know. I don't know. However you would define it. They just maximize their fighting where they got as a fighter based on where you might've thought they would get on the first day or, or those kind of things. I, I mean, obviously kind of Khabib comes to mind as, as you know, a guy that kind of came in was quiet. Um, but obviously very talented. It was no surprise that he was successful, but in terms of seeing him kind of be the, the quiet guy in the room, whereas English wasn't very good to really, kind of somebody that's, you know, serious 
celebrity status now. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, a, a, you know, pretty interesting transition to watch. Okay. And last question. If you look at AKA, even just the, I guess the modern era of AKA, right? You've got champions. You've got, I mean, Josh Thompson was champion in strike force, right? You've got, um, DC Kane, Luke Rockhold. Uh, then you've got Khabib. Now you've got Islam. You've got Fitch and Kashyyyk, who were, you know, second in the, you know, second best in their, in their, uh, in their weight class at times. Um, not sure who I'm forgetting. Will there ever be a, will there ever be a gym again that that can get that level of success across so many guys that were homegrown? Like, or was that kind of one of those things we'll look back at and think that was crazy? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you can go back to the the early days, right? Militich had a had a big stable of champions, and I just think that uh, things are cyclical, and and you know, I think. And like I was saying, it's momentum, right? You get a bunch of guys winning and doing well. Everybody in the room is, you know, going to believe, oh, you know, my guy to my left is a champion. My guy to my right's a champion. I'm doing everything he's going to do. I'm going to be a champion too. And that goes a long ways. Yeah, that makes sense. What, um, where'd crazy come from? Why are you crazy, Bob Cook? Not just Bob Cook. Uh, you know, Frank kind of gave me that moniker when back in the day when I was working all the time and I would be driving three hours one way to come up here and train and then three hours back. So <laughs> that, that got me monitor on that. Nice. Well, look, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I could sit here forever and ask you questions. I just love hearing these stories and, and uh, I think you've got a great way of delivering them. So I, uh, yeah, I think that was really interesting. I don't, anyone, I think obviously anyone who's a fan of MMA is going to enjoy that conversation. And I think anyone that, um, you know, that even isn't, well, there's a lot of lessons there that can be applied to life and business and everything from, from, from your career and from watching the, the fighters. So really appreciate you coming on. I'm guessing you're not big on social media. So there's probably not anyone anywhere anyone can follow you or you've got a secret account that we, uh, you got a, you got an alias that we don't know about that we should all follow. Uh, I don't really use it much, but, uh, I've got crazy Bob cook at, uh, on Instagram. You were about to give out your email address, weren't you? That was, that was, uh, yeah. <laughs> follow me on email. <laughs> nice. All right, Bob. Well, thanks for coming on. Anyone listening, if you get a chance, rate, review, subscribe, um, really appreciate, appreciate you listening. And, uh, Bob, hopefully we can, we can catch up and hear about more in the future. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. 